Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Denizens of the Special Cave of Spoilerverse. Spoiler Country. I'm Ken Cregan. That is a Mr. Cool, Aye. Mr. Horsley, and today on the show, well, it's Jed McKay, isn't it? It is. It is. And uh, Melissa sat down with Jed and talked about Black Cat and Taskmaster and Avengers, Mech Strike, and and just a bunch of stuff in in, in the world of uh, of McKay. And uh, you know, it's 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 really cool. It, it's I. Do you like? Are you a Black Cat fan? From Spider Man? Yeah, yeah. I have her okay. first appearance. Oh, you do? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's a good copy too. You know, we met the creator of Black Cat at Comic Con by accident on our first our first trip down there to San San Diego. Yeah, we were when we were going to see Mike Grill. The guy on the opposite side of that aisle was the creator of Black Cat. <laughs> oh, he was really nice. He was super nice. Yeah, yeah he was doing some amazing artwork. Dude, he was an awesome artwork, and it was, it was it was great. And um, yeah. So uh, this is fun, man. They talked about that, and Taskmaster. Taskmaster is one of like I think one of the most underrated villains out there, characters out there for Marvel that people know about, but people don't really know about. You know, what's his DC counterpart? The Taskmaster. Yeah, uh, I don't know. That's a tough one because I would probably Amazo, but he's he's an android. But they have similar like techniques in the way you know because. Taskmaster learns from people fighting against him. He learns their techniques and kind yeah. of what Amazo does too, but Amazo takes it to the extreme because he's more of a, he copies powers, right? Where Taskmaster just copies like fighting styles. Yeah. So, but, and it's kind of the only correlation I can really think of. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there you go. Well, let's just sit back and listen to Jed McKay in his own words. This is Spoiler Country, and I'm Melissa Sercha. Today on the show, I'm excited to welcome comic book writer of Black Cat, Taskmaster, and many more, Mr. Judd McKay. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me on. Thanks for being here. How's it going tonight? Oh, it's going pretty well. It's a pretty quiet night over here. My dog's just sitting on the couch chewing away at an antler, so uh, you might hear that. <laughs> awesome. Uh, whereabouts are you located? I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Oh, okay. East coast of Canada. Great. Awesome. Is there much of a time difference? I'm not like a couple hours ahead of us, I think, right? Uh, yeah, like four hours. Oh, four. Okay. <laughs> well, we appreciate you being here tonight. I want to jump all. right in. I know you're super busy. You've got so much going on, lots of different projects that I can't wait to talk about. I do want to get a little background info. I know you've talked a lot about you know, getting your break at Marvel and that being kind of like 
the first experience, you know, in the comic book industry, you know, how did that come about? What was, you know, that experience like? Well, the, the first work I did in Marvel was going on a little over 10 years ago. Now I came into comics or like wanting to make comics when I was like a teenager in the you know early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I was at that point in time, I thought I was going to draw comics. Okay. I was still <laughs> quite deluded in that respect. <laughs> so I was involved in message boards and stuff for comic artists and comic creators, particularly, I think, Enter Void. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of young, young artists, people who were really trying to figure it out, trying to get into it. And it was like a really exciting kind of place to be. You all had people around sort of the same level and you got to see people really increase their abilities and stuff. Anyways, I hooked up with my friend Sheldon Vella, who's a comic artist out of Australia. And as it, at that point, I realized that I couldn't draw. <laughs> and uh, I had a script floating around. I wrote for somebody. So we started making comics together and just kind of goofing around and putting stuff on the internet. It's like really kind of crass, dumb comics you make when you're like 21, 22 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Sheldon being you know extremely strong artist got picked up by Marvel to do just some shorts. He did a, a Bizarre Adventure, or no, Bizarre Adventures, Strange Adventures. Yeah. It was one of their, one of their anthology books they did back in like, 2007 or so like that and uh, he got tapped to do an issue of a story in an issue of x-men serve and protect which was uh an anthology book wow Uh, and he got me in to write it because he didn't actually know any of the characters (laughs) so we did a uh dazzler daughters of the dragon team up with like a a cosmic roller derby thing which was extremely silly but it was a lot of fun yeah so we did that and then basically nothing came up for about four years. And then we got tapped to do another short. We did the, the Hobie Brown Spider-Punk thing for Spider-Verse. Okay. And that one was, it was pretty well received. And we're like, okay, this is it. This is going to be the break. We're going to get more work after this. And then there's just nothing for another four years. <laughs> oh, <geez>. Slow moving <laughs> uh, <then>, process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we got tapped again to do another Spider-Punk story and Sheldon was too busy for it. But I was like, well, I'm, I, could, I certainly can't do it. And uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a full issue. The first issue I did was Edge of Spider-Geddon number one. And then from there, I was like, okay, well, it'll probably be another four years before I get anything else. But Nick, the editor on that said, well, actually, I've got this Daughters of the Dragon series that we're doing, the digital first series, and cool. we need someone to write it. And, you know, would you be interested? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And that was just kind of my start of doing regular work from Marvel. That's awesome. And while you were doing that, were you, and I think I read this correctly, were, are you a teacher as well? Yeah, I was. I was a teacher up to about a year ago when my freelance work became a little too onerous to do both at once. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was, I graduated in 2012 with my BED and I worked at various schools like here or there. I was in China. I was in Montreal. I was working here in Halifax. So yeah, I was teaching and then, so when I started my Marvel stuff, I was teaching for the next about year and a half, I believe. I was teaching while I wrote Daughters, while I wrote Man Without Fear, while I started Black Cat. And then after a certain point, I was like, well, I can't really do both of these. So I've got to make a choice and I decided to go with writing. Yeah, absolutely. I bet it was cool for your students. I mean, did you, were you um, open with them about, oh, I'm a writer for, you know, comics when you were teaching? Yeah, it's actually, they're less impressed with it than you might think. Uh, <laughs> they, they wondered, they're like, oh, does that mean you know what's going on in the movies? I'm like, no. And they're like, okay, well, I guess we don't really care about that then. Like, well, fair enough. 
Where's your homework? Oh, that's what age group were you teaching? At that point, I was teaching junior high. So I was teaching grades uh, seven, eight, and nine. Okay. Yeah. So, so they have yeah. a short attention span. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, they're, they're just not that interested in comics. Like if I said I was working for Fortnite, they'd have been psyched, but it yeah. was not the case. <laughs> You're like, I'm working in the movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, can you tell us what happens in the, the second Avengers movie? I'm like, why would I know that? <laughs> You're like, I want to know that, actually. <laughs> yeah. So if you find out, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. Well, I'm, you know, it, it's a hard decision to make, you know, when you when you have like your day job, quote unquote, and then you do get that break of being able to write full time. I mean, that is the dream, I think, for for most writers. So I bet that was exciting when you finally got to that point where you're like, OK, I can do this, you know, financially and and everything. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I was I was very lucky in that I was getting work coming in, but also that I live in Canada, so I wasn't worried about losing my health insurance. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm so jealous. I was, I, was <laughs> yeah, I was also being paid in, you know, you get paid in U.S. dollars, you live in Canada, it's like getting a raise. Wow. Yeah, I've heard that, actually, that the, the exchange rate, I think, is better for you guys right now, isn't it? I mean, it has been for about the last 20 years, yeah. Has it? Yeah. <laughs> my grandfather was from, you know, born in, in Canada. And so I've, I've never had the chance to go. But I remember my mom telling me when I was a kid, like, oh, you know, the, the exchange rate, I think at some point was great because she'd be like, I can go over and buy all this stuff. And then, you know, it's cheaper. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure that's changed. <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, it's been gone back and forth. But for the last, most of my lifetime, it's been pretty, pretty slanted with a, a higher US dollar. Yeah. But, well, that, uh, that works out for you as a writer. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Black Cat. I'm, I'm just starting to kind of get familiar with it and was reading up on it and everything. It looks amazing. The art is absolutely beautiful for one. Oh, yeah. That's so eye-catching and all the variant covers. So so tell, for, for anyone who's listening that doesn't know, what is the the premise of Black Cat? I mean, she is an iconic character that's not getting her own series, but kind of give us a little bit in your own words what it's about so black our cat our series excuse me our series black cat we pick up on felicia hardy the you know the titular black cat and mm-hmm. she has gone back to what she does best a life of crime <laughs> she's she's you know a glamorous breezy thrill-seeking thief you know she's not out to, not out to hurt anybody she's just there to have you know have a good time and to live a life outside of the limits of the law in the way that she she wishes and so yeah. she's got she's got her crew with her she's lining up jobs she's running hustle on some of the biggest names in the marvel universe and generally making everyone around her look like chumps <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah and you have 12 issues out mm-hmm. so is this going to be an ongoing series or do you have like a cap on on when when you want to wrap it up well basically this was the first ongoing series i'd ever done uh, oh, cool. Previously, I'd done, you know, Daughters of the Dragon with six issues. Well, two, three double-sized issues. Uh, Man Without Fear was five issues. Ghost Panther was two issues. But this is the first time, excuse me, that had an, on, had an ongoing. And, you know, with an ongoing, with the market being the way it is, you've always got that cancellation axe over your head. Um, yeah. So when we started out, I asked Nick, I'm like, well, what should I plan for? Like, what, what? realistically should we expect to get here he said well if you if we get 10 issues we'll consider it a job well done so i plan my story i plan my story for 10 issues maybe a lot of a lot of new series just get canceled at five issues it's just the way the industry works and you know it's a bummer but what do you do about it so we plan for 10 issues but 
then it, you know, it did well. People were excited about it. It found an audience pretty quickly. And so that 10 issues then moved up to 12 and then we were approved further out and then COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And when COVID hit, Diamond stopped shipping. The whole industry was kind of in a bit of an upheaval and we had to basically go on hiatus, which meant that the first, the first series ended at issue 12, though realistically it just kind of went on hiatus before a relaunch. So number, the new number one came out last month. We're on schedule monthly. And basically number four, when that comes out, it was the original number 13 for the first series. We just slotted this King and Black three-part series in at the beginning. And then we're basically picking up where we left off. Okay, perfect. So you can, so you're back on track essentially. Oh yeah, no, we're, we're, we're back up and running, you know, all pistons firing. We're, we're good to go. Cool. Yeah. So I brought up the covers because I was just literally, I spent like half an hour just like looking at every single variant cover. The art is absolutely gorgeous. So what, what inspired the art? I mean, do you have any input on that or are they just kind of going off of your panels that you've written and then they're inspired by that? How does that work collaboratively? There's not a whole lot of collaboration from my end with the covers. Generally that's handled with the cover artist and the ed- and editorial. Okay. Uh, they, they try to strike a balance of having some covers reflect the story. Some covers just kind of, you know, a standalone sort of iconic pieces. And it's just kind of a balance, balance of that, unless it's something that's, you know, particularly important to the story. Yeah. Like for instance, our relaunch, we've got Pepe Larraz, Marte Gracia doing the covers. So with the, this King of Black tie-in, they want the covers to be very, very, you know, evocative above that. So we have King of Black imagery and stuff. Whereas when we get later on, you're going to have some stuff that's more, more like kind of the J. Scott Campbell covers where you have, you know, a standalone image or standalone cover that may or may not reflect the elements of the story. Okay, I see. And are all of the different covers available for people to buy or are they like limited editions? That's a, that's a very complicated question. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure myself. Like I'm, I'm still not sure. Like the first run, Black Cat number one, when it came out and came out when it did, there were a huge swath of variant covers. Some were incentive covers. You know, you, stores will get one, one cover for ordering, however many, the, the standard cover. Others mm-hmm. are store exclusives. You can only get from certain stores. Others, I think J. Scott Campbell had, I think, three or four that only came from his store. So yeah, if you wanted to collect all the covers, I don't reckon it would be super easy. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there's complicated. A lot, there's, a, there's a lot of different sources for them, but yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing seeing such a wide variety of artists and a wide variety of interpretations of the character put out yeah. there for yeah, and they all still, even though there's different artists, they, they still seem to capture the same essence, you know, which is nice. I mean, it still looks like, you know, a black cat cover, essentially. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, you, you you know what you're getting. Yeah. And, well, the character of black cat, you know, she's obviously been around for a very long time. How do you feel like the character has evolved since 1979 and you know how how did you approach it like what did you put on it that's you know fresh and different well the character has changed i mean from the from her inception the character changed a lot i mean like any other character really from their mm-hmm. their point of creation in that black cat in when she you know first appeared in the spider-man books in you know late 70s early and through the 80s she was 
very much a supporting character, you know, she, mm. and very much a character of the times, you know, she was uh, a bit of a damsel in distress when needed. She was a bit boy crazy. She just, she was, I think she was a really interesting character, but I think she could, she could really benefit from having a series that gives her perspective. Like, like any sort of supporting character, they're always going to be second fiddle to the title character. So in Black Cat's case, she was always second fiddle to Spider-Man. Spider-Man was the character who got the development. Felicia, you know, had amounts of development and started in stories and stuff, but you didn't get, she didn't have the opportunity to really kind of branch out and get her own seat at the table. Yeah. So in writing Black Cat in her first ongoing series, one of the goals that I was really interested in doing is saying, here's who this character is. She's not uh, beholden to anybody else. This is this character in her own life. We're seeing her thoughts, you know, her goals, the things she's interested in, the, what she wants. And that's the reason that for, you know, several, you know, more than a few issues in the series, Spider-Man doesn't show up uh, mm-hmm. in that. Like he's, he's mentioned time here and there because you, know, you have to. Uh, it's yeah. has part of her history. But Spider-Man doesn't show up on panel until the first annual because I I really wanted to make sure that it was, you know, the book was black hat. It's not Spider-Man's gal pal, black hat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, have you noticed, I mean, I know with COVID we haven't been able to go to cons or anything like that, but previously have you noticed a big female fan base? I mean, not necessarily the extended cons because like I said, I haven't been to con for better part of a year. And also I just, I don't really go to that many shows. Okay. Um, but however, on Twitter, I, I really feel like there is, you know, I feel like that female fans are there for black hat, you know, women are getting, getting interested in the character. It, it's hard to judge because, you know, like Twitter, you only see what's happening with the people that you're following or things that you're tagged in. Right. So there could be, you know, various people saying various things about this book, but I'm not going to track it down in case my feelings get hurt. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, but yeah, funny. yeah. I, think, I think that female contingent fan, female, sorry, that contingent of female fans is there. And I'm, I'm hoping that it's something that, you know, they will like, and it's something they can find, you know, interesting and not uh, an embarrassing portrayal of a female character. No. Which is always, <laughs> Well, it's this a run when you have, you know, a straight man writing a female character. Right. Well, I think, you know, that's what I love about like shows like this. You know, for, for me, example, I, you know, I had not, I mean, I know of Black Cat iconically, but not, you know, your series particular. And I love the fact that, you know, when I discover something new and then it's like, oh, this is a really cool female character. You know, this is definitely you know, my alley, so to speak. And I think that a lot of it's just, you know, visibility. Like you said, when you're on Twitter, you have your own algorithms, you know, so you're only seeing certain things and that's for all of us. So it's interesting, you know, I always wonder how we can make certain comics like more visible to a broader, you know, audience, I guess. Oh, for sure. And I mean, as, as someone who's writing these comics, I want my, I want the books I'm writing to be as visible as possible to people. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, that they will because it seems that the biggest conversation that was going around you know black cat the comic you know within the first year of it coming out is a lot of people sort of dismissed it out of hand mm. so it's it's not a character i'm interested in or i think it's they thought oh, it was just going to be a cheesecake book or something like that and 
a lot of the discussions I've seen are people being surprised about it, saying, well, there's there's more to it than I had originally thought, or this is not a book I expected to like or expected to be interested in. It seemed to be one, sort of one of the common refrains of uh, reviews that I had read, or specifically reviews that I've been tagged in. Right. <laughs> Don't you love when that happens? Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, you tag me in a good review, I'm more than happy. Tag me in a poor, poor review, then. Well, I'll, you know, I'll shed a little tear over here and the frozen parts. <laughs> Yeah. Have a cocktail and cry it out. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, I'm a writer as well, but, you know, for for prose novels, how do you, you know, especially when writing a character that's already sort of, you know, existed in other worlds and and other um, incarnations, how do you come up with fresh ideas? You know, how do you keep it like what's part of your research like, or, or do you just kind of have like these random ideas that come to you out of nowhere? You know, how do you, how do you conceptualize like your story ideas for each issue? It's a lot. I mean, it does come down to a lot of research, something that is both an enormous boon and an enormous pain about uh, working in the Marvel universe is just the, the sheer weight of continuity, mm. which means that there's a lot of old toys in the toy box that just need a little dusting off that you can bring back and do something interesting with. But it also means you're spending hours just continuity checking and hunting down appearances of this character, you know, making sure that they're still alive for one thing and stuff like that. So I like, I really like digging up old characters and kind of brushing them off in issues two and three. We brought back uh, Xander, the merciless, who was a, a doctor strange villain. So I needed okay. just some, uh, just some like Jamok magician to help them to break into Doctor Strange's place. Oh, and, cool. Cause I mean, I could have just made up somebody, but right. I find it, I find it's a lot more interesting to take something that's already there, you know, work with the tools that are already exist and see what you can do with them. See how you can breathe new life into them. Yeah. That sounds really fun. Just doing that in general. And then also it is kind of, you know, a nod to other characters. So that kind of brings in, fans of those characters too because you know it, it's always fun when you're watching something and then like your favorite character from a spinoff makes an appearance and you're like oh i know who that is you know so i yeah, could yeah. imagine that's cool for the readers you know yeah and it's and that's that's a lot of where these ideas come from is i could do a lot of wiki diving where yeah. i go to like the Mar- marvel fandom wiki and just kind of look around and see stuff that's happened or like items that exist or characters that exist and that no one's used for 30 years i think wow that could be a really interesting interaction between these characters or this could be uh, you know a real threat or this could be something that would be really interesting to bring back and just looking at those different those different things that already exist and how they could kind of bounce off each other sparks off a lot of ideas and just so you know write them down eventually maybe i'll get back to them yeah and also too i think that you know we we tend to see a lot of the same characters a lot you know that get reimagined and re redone whether the, you know in the films or in the comics and there's For those sure. you know yeah there's those same like what 10 you know that that we always see and that's you know that's fine for diehard fans but you know for people that want to just kind of learn more about what else is out there i think it's cool when you go and find comic book characters that did exist but maybe weren't as well known and then you bring them back and give breathe new life into them you know and I mean, I can't like I can't do my own horn too much. I did do a two art two issue Wolverine arc. So, <laughs> well, I mean, and, you know, that that's it, still going to happen. Obviously, like you 
people still there's still a demand for that. Like there's still those iconic, you know, I love Batman. Um, I never get tired of seeing Batman stuff. You know what I mean? Like we love that. But it's also just fun when you get to discover, you know, a new character that's an old new character, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and speaking of like, you know, the different story ideas that you've done, I know um, just kind of reading about it in issue seven. So the black cat faces off with Odessa Drake and it has, it's kind of like a mixture of her kicking ass and then the backstory of Odessa. How did you balance that to where it was sort of like not over too much in one area than the other, like how it flowed so seamlessly how did you kind of design that well some people would say i didn't but okay. uh, <laughs> really uh, no it's well i mean you, you know how it is but generally generally like the thing is i really like doing these heist books and these thief books where there's you're always going to have like the planning stage or the exposition stage but it's also really boring just to have people sitting around a room talking mm-hmm. so i think i think it's Whenever I can, I try to intercut it with things actually happening. So for number seven, that groundwork had to be laid for the you know for the story to continue and to to proceed into its end game. We had yeah. to know what was going on with the thieves guild. We had to know <clears throat> what Odessa did in order to sort of secure the New York thieves guild's rise back to power in New York. We had to know where that bad blood came from with Odessa and the black box and with Castillo Drake. And that connection with Felicia and, you know, Walt Hardy and stuff like that. But at the same time, as much as I enjoy writing just page after page of people talking to each other and trying to hurt each other's feelings, <laughs> he's matched, he's some pizzazz, like the superhero comic. Well, it's not a superhero comic, it's a comic in a superhero world. So there has to be stuff happening. So yeah. it's, it's something I'm always conscious of where I don't want people to get bored reading it. So yeah, generally, and-, and especially in Black Cat, when people are talking, planning, there's an extended period where there's a lot of back and forth. I like to be able to intercut it with some sort of action. Uh, just give people something to look at. Give them something that's exciting. Like a, yeah, a page turner, essentially. Keep them, keep them reading. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, especially when you're, yeah, when you're writing something like the Thieves Guild, like you said, they're planning heists, they're doing all these things. You do need to have those details laid out unless you're going for the element of surprise in certain types of situations. But and I think that that there's something to be said for that, too. You know, those quiet moments where you're kind of like seeing the calculations happening and and the inner workings of the organization. Do you outline all of that or are you a pantser when you write? I'm becoming less and less dependent on outlines. I used to be out write. Is I would write the number one to twenty on you know an Evernote or a Google Doc or a notebook page, mm-hmm. and basically here's here's what's going to happen in each page. I do that less now than I used to. Maybe it's just I'm getting my instincts are getting better honed for it. But generally, like nowadays, I just I know what's going to happen. I know how it's going to end. I know what's going to happen. But I also find that a lot of the best stuff just sort of happens on the page, where while I'm writing it, I'll think, oh, this is good, I'm going to do that. And then it, it may change the story. But in that kind of moment of creation, I feel like a lot of the ideas become more fresh than they would be for me. Mm-hmm. So I used to I used to outline like just extraordinary. Like before I was before I was writing comics, I was writing prose and I would write 
a short story basically every month for my writing club. And I would just outline, just like outline the hell out of it. So whenever I got stuck, I just refer back to my outline. I'm okay, here's the next thing that has to happen. Here's the next thing that has to happen. But I find with comics lately, I'm doing less of that where I'll have a general, general idea of how the story will go. But the way it develops on the page is often more interesting than the way I had planned it, which also makes it a real, it makes it a real pain in the ass when I'm trying to like (laughs) pitch a story to my editors where I say, here's this thing that's going to happen when I know that it's going to turn out different, but probably better. But it's hard to assure someone that that's the way it's going to happen, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, hopefully at this point, you know, in your career, I think, you know, you've, you've earned that kind of trust, I would say, you know, to where they, you've proven yourself, you have all this amazing work out there. So I think they can just kind of be like, all right, he's got it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would think so at this point for sure. And I think it also depends sometimes on like specific projects, right? Like some, some things you work on, seem to flow better. You know, I know I've, I've been an extreme outliner where like detailed to the, you know, the color of the chair that they're sitting on, you know, (laughs) world building. And then there's other ones that just seem to kind of flow out of you. Like you were saying where, you know, it's going to change as you write it. And I think that's kind of like the, not to sound cheesy, but kind of like the magic of writing, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's where it feels like you've kind of like tapped into something, you know, you've gripped that live wire. You, you've got a hold of that current and it's flowing through you and you're like, well, let's get this on the page. I mean, at, 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 so I've, I've gone back to trying to write some short stories and I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll start. I know how this is going to start. Let's see how it goes. And you just like hit a wall so hard your teeth rattle. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, I actually I should probably go back and figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, I literally it just happened to me recently, and I'm like, nope, I need an outline. This isn't gonna work. <laughs> uh, it's it's terrible, isn't it? It sucks. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, no, I got this. I've done this before, but yeah, it just depends, you know, on and and mood and you know tone and environment and all that stuff. I'm a big uh, believer. I know some writers are like, oh, I could you know write in a crowded bus bus stop or whatever, and I'm like, no, I think <laughs> I need certain things around me to be a certain way. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, How about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, generally, like, I mean, I don't have an office. I write in the chair in my living room. So I'll have my computer on my lap. I'll put my earbuds in, listen to music to drown out whatever's going on. Because, you know, with COVID, everybody's working from home. So, yeah. you know, my wife is doing her own work. The animals are running around. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. So yeah. that's, I mean, I'm, I'm generally fine as long as I have a chair and I can put my earbuds in. I'm good to go. But, like, I'll talk to people who... <clears throat> will write, you know, five, 10 pages while they're at a show or a con, yeah. you know, and I'm like, I don't, I have no idea how you do that. I can barely read a book when I'm there. Yeah. I mean, you're just so focused on, I mean, I get distracted by like people watching and, you know, just paying attention to I guess what's going on around me or people are in coffee shops too. Like I envy them. I would just be constantly observing and, you know, every little clink and at the end, I look up, I just, yeah, it's, I need like that certain quiet. But I mean, yeah, more yeah. power to them for being able to do that. <laughs> concept of writing in coffee shops, I've always found it completely insane. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I don't like going to coffee shops with the best, to, you know, to drink beverages, let alone try to actually do work. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. To go, please. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I'll sit, I'll sit in my home and I'll do my work and that's fine. Yeah. Make my own coffee. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
Well, another thing I wanted to, to talk about in in the in Black Cat was you mentioned things like the Philosopher's Stone and the Elixir of Life. Was that what is the influence of that? Because it's clearly alchemy. Did you do a lot of research on that, or did that just kind of organically kind of find its way in? Uh, well, I, I basically became one of the world's foremost experts on uh, the Marvel Thieves Guild situation, which was <laughs> a lot of digging into '90s comics. Basically, Nick Spencer set up this uh, idea of the New York Thieves Guild with Odessa Drake and the Black Cat butting heads back in uh, Amazing Spider-Man. And the series of Black Cat basically spun out of that. Okay. So I had to f- figure out how that works. You know, Nick Spencer had his sort of ideas like this is what the New York Thieves Guild is. And, and from that, I had to sort of make a coherent, unified theory of comic book thieves guilds because the thieves guild first appeared in gambit i think okay was it his own series i don't remember but it it was delved into most deeply in his own theory in series where kandra one of the externals had basically set up the thieves guilds and the assassins guilds and they would give her wealth so she could pursue her schemes and in return she would supply them with basically this immortality potion the elixir of life the amrit ras or whatever you want to call it and with that, they would live, you know, be immortal. They would live forever. Okay. And in the Gambit series, a lot of that was basically the New Orleans Thieves Guilds and the New Orleans Assassins Guilds butting heads and also butting heads with Kandra, who was not a great person. <laughs> so I set up the idea of the, I don't know, wait, did Spencer set that I'm not entirely sure which of us set this up, but the <laughs> idea that the New York Thieves Guild was a schismatic from this sort of Thieves Guild orthodoxy that was loyal to Kandra, which are no longer, that's, that has its own history. But basically sometime in the 70s, the, the New York Thieves Guild fell out of favor with Kandra, and they lost access to this potion of immortality. And then, <coughs> excuse me, that was sort of the fall from grace for the, uh, the Drake family who were the you know, hereditary leaders of the New York Thieves Guild. Yeah. And so Odessa's father, Castillo Drake, when he was training under the Black Fox to be a thief, he, his whole goal was to find a new avenue towards immortality for the New York Thieves Guild. And he died trying to find that. And then, as we saw in issue seven, Odessa continued her father's work, and she succeeded. And okay. that kind of set this up for where we're going out from there. Okay. Interesting. That's really cool. It's always fun to get a little bit of the backstory, you know? So without, you know, obviously without giving away spoilers, I know, you know, in in issue 12, the last issue 12, so uh, Black Cat stole Iron Man's armor. (laughs) What? Well, she stole stole her own armor. Oh, it was her own armor. I thought it was. Yes. No, she, she had his systems build her her own armor. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Because I saw the variant that, cover and she was like, it was fitted to her. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She, she was kind of, she had broken into Stark's building to build a, a dimensional resonator thing for her, her plan to rob the Thieves Guild. She kind of got put in a spot and then had a Stark systems build her, her own set of armor so she could get away. Clever girl. <laughs> so what can I, what will be the consequences of that, if anything, or can you, are you allowed to talk about that at all? 
Uh, the consequences of that are largely moot at this point. Okay. Uh, you know, as of issue 12, Stark got that armor back. He got ripped off. He doesn't actually know how he got ripped off. But he's not actively looking for Felicia at this point. Okay. So that, that may be something we'll see further down the line, but it's not a pressing concern at this moment. Okay. All right, cool. Well, switching gears for a minute. So you're also a writer on Taskmaster, which is another sort of anti-hero villain character. Unless you think, what's that? He's not great. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, is he just misunderstood? or? <laughs> but you have two issues on that so far. Am I correct, right? Yep. Issue number three comes out in February. Cool. So, you know, tell tell us a little bit about that. Like, how's that going? What's what's the story arc that you're sort of pursuing with that one? Uh, well, Taskmaster has been sort of a long time coming. Uh, I started writing it ages ago at this point. It was supposed to come out April 1st to coincide with the Black Widow movie. Obviously, Taskmaster is the villain in the Black Widow movie. But then COVID happened. Black Widow movie got pushed back. Taskmaster got pushed back. Uh, the movie got pushed back again. The Taskmaster got pushed back again. Oh, wow. And finally, finally, they just said, well, we don't know when this movie's coming out. Let's just get this comic book out there. Uh, <laughs> you know, whenever the movie comes out, the trade will be out. So that's fine. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's, I like Taskmaster a lot. He's, he's a, a villain, but he's not like a mega mill. Excuse me. He's you know, not, not like a world conquering type. He's just sort of a blue collar working, working class villain. He's a guy who, does jobs, he gets paid. He's not particularly interested in ideology. He's not particularly interested in dying for the cause. He's just a guy who, you know, he just wants to work, just wants to get the job done, wants to get paid, and mm-hmm. hopefully not, not get beat up too badly. Okay. Uh, however, in this series, he's kind of put in a spot where he is framed for uh, the murder of Maria Hill. And oh, wow. In order to clear his name, he has to team up with Nick Fury and basically interact with these top spies from around the world in order to kind of get to the bottom of what's happening. Okay, interesting. Do you, so, you know, he has this ability to mimic fighting styles. Do you consider that like a superpower or is it just an ability? I mean, because he's able to teach it, but is he sort of like, it's different for him though, right? Isn't it like a special superpower? Yeah, he has he has photographic reflexes, which means that anything he sees, he can do, which which gives him a pretty broad range of abilities, kind of within his portfolio. So yeah. then that also kind of fuels into this idea that he is a teacher because he has so many things he can show. You know, he can teach someone to do. When U.S. Agent first came out, Taskmaster was the guy who trained him yeah. uh, because he had seen Captain America fight. And so we could teach, you know, John Walker to fight like Captain America. And at the same time, he's a businessman. He's expanding his portfolio. So he also trains, you know, henchmen and books and whatnot for, for various villains to contract. Okay. Do you ever, do you foresee yourself ever doing a uh, Taskmaster Black Cat meetup? They did meet up briefly in issue. I'm always losing track of my issues here. <laughs> I was going to count it off. Issue eight. No, issue nine. Sorry. Okay. We did one of those kind of 16 grid interviewing people around town kind of things. And he showed up for one panel. Okay. 
And is that kind of it? Or do you plan on, I mean, any ideas of having them team up at any point in the future? Uh, I mean, I'm always kind of looking for where I can put Taskmaster in. His series is only five issues. They don't cross over within that. But he's a character I really like and try to put in where I can. So I have no plans for it, but it wouldn't surprise me if he kind of popped up. Okay. Yeah, I think that'd be that'd be an interesting duo. <laughs> yeah, no, it'd, be, it'd be a good laugh for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you have... So when you're working on like two different things at the same time, I mean, is it hard for you to kind of balance that or like jumping in from one story perspective to another? It. I mean, it depends on the book. Like if you're, if you're going to make a living in comics, you got to be able to work on more than one thing at a time unless you have like an absolutely outrageous page rate, which... I do not because I'm my career is still pretty new. So yeah. I mean, like right now I'm working on let's see I'm working on like four different books at this point in time. Wow. Um, three of which haven't been announced yet. So okay. uh, it's a lot of uh, like behind the scenes preparing stuff, getting scripts built up. Like Taskmaster is only two issues out, but it's been done for ages. Okay. Um, and the yeah, next strike, strike yeah. I was going to bring that up. You have that going on too, right? Yeah, like Mech Strike starts starts next month. Uh, I think I wrote the last script for Mech Strike sometime in October or maybe November. So by the time stuff actually comes out, my you know my work on it has been long done because <clears throat> I have to write it, has to go to the artist for however long that takes, then to letters, then to colors, and then it has to get printed. So yeah. right now it looks like I'm working on Black Cat, Mech Strike, and Taskmaster. But Mech Strike and Taskmaster have been done for ages. Okay. So yeah, yeah it's it can it's, be a bit of cognitive dissonance to kind of jump back and forth. But I generally don't find it too bad. All the books I'm working on are all stuff I really like. So it's not something I'm really trying to like have to force myself to do or push myself to do. Yeah. That's that helps. <laughs> yeah, and it can be kind of a breath of fresh air moving between projects where if I'm kind of hitting a wall with one, I can do, I can work on another one and still feel like I'm actually doing something, you know? Yeah. I ring productive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. It's nice to change it up and it kind of re-stimulates like the creativity. Yeah. For you know? sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I saw the, the trailer, you know, like the book trailer for, for Max Strike and it looked amazing. It was really yeah, well done trailer. Exciting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, this looks like a movie, you know, movie trailer. They did a good job. It was Marvel that probably put that together, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I, I was, I mean, I didn't see it until I was tagged in it on Twitter. But yeah, that was, it was really interesting. I was like, man, you guys should do this for all my books. That'd be great. <laughs> and was it cool, like, seeing your name, like, pop up? Like, <laughs> I mean, it always is. I'm always happy. It's one of the kind of small joys of working in comics is seeing your name put up in various places, like, whether it be the cover of a book or, like, on a, a promo trailer. It's, yeah, it's just, it gets fun. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, you said you had some secret stuff you can't talk about, so I won't press you on that <laughs> and you'll just have to come back again and discuss when those are <laughs> public knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the next few months, I think there'll be some, some announcements coming out. Awesome. Cool. And, and just on a funny note, I, I glanced at your, your Twitter and you have some funny tweets on there particularly one which i completely agree with you about the uh, the zack snyder cut i was like, laughing so hard when when i saw your tweet on that yeah i'm just like i've, I've got no skin in the game like i'm right. not 
not against it. I'm not for it. I just don't care about it. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. So I saw that tweet. I was like, oh my God, finally, you know, so somebody that agrees because <laughs> it seems like everyone is like on that right now. And, you know, you got, you go along, you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, great. Awesome. But I'm like, oh my God, if I see this in my Twitter feed one more time. <laughs> That's the thing. Like I'm trying, I try so hard not to ever see anything about the Snyder Cut ever. Yeah, like, no. I mean, I just, I just don't care. Like, I don't, don't care. Like it's, it's got nothing to do with me. I don't, I'm, I'm not against it. I'm not for it. Like, it's just not something I'm interested in. Yeah. It's just you're indifferent. It keeps coming up. No matter how many words I mute, it just keeps coming back. (laughs) That's so funny. It's those algorithms. (laughs) I mean, it's it's the hazards of, you know, being in in nerd Twitter circles, I guess. Yeah. No, definitely. (laughs) I feel you on that one. Well, before we go, are you, aside from all your projects that are going on in comics are you um planning to to write uh, a novel at any point a prose novel well i i mean i wrote i wrote a prose novel about i don't know five six years ago oh cool uh, yeah like i've for a long a, a while back i just sort of gave up on comics i was just wasn't seeing much success or like was like no one was particularly interested in what i was wanted to do so i was like well i'll focus all my efforts into writing prose because it's just something I can do by myself and, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't cost me anything. Yeah. So I, when I was going to school to be a teacher. I was reading a lot of like, young adult stuff. Cause that's, <clears throat> cause that's, you know, a lot of what you do with English methods for teaching. So I was, a, I was an English and social studies teacher. Okay. And I was like, well, you know, these young adult adventure books are a lot of fun. And also they're not like super sophisticated or, or like anything like that. So I'm like, well, I can do that. Mm-hmm. So I just as, at first, it's kind of a mental exercise. Like, well, how would I plan you know, an exciting young adult adventure? And then I got you know really into it. So when I was working in China, I had basically an hour every day where I was kind of looking over a study hall. And there was no internet in the room I was at. So I had my mm-hmm. computer. I'm like, well, I'll use this time. I'll, I'll write. So I'll you know, do about like a thousand words a day. Oh, wow. Awesome. And, and then eventually, it just kind of... I got this first novel written out. I think it was like, it wasn't super long. I think it was like 85,000 words, 87,000 words, something like that. That's like standard. Yeah, that's a good amount. So and I, I was quite pleased with it. I went back. I made my friends read it, as you do. You know, mm-hmm. they're your friends, so you have to cost them with whatever you write. Yeah. <laughs> and you say, well, what, did you like it? Did you love it? What, how, can I, how can it be improved? It can't be improved. But yeah, no, nothing really came of it. I submitted it to some publishers and agents and stuff like that and i was like well that sucks so yeah. then i was i started writing short stories for my writing club and that started up about four or five years ago and that was a lot of fun i, like, I put them on i would you know write a story every month because that was where the accountability was in order yeah. for a writing club to work i wanted to have something finished every time so it became yeah. kind of a point of pride so every month i would work and figure out what i was going to write i'd write you know, anywhere from like 2,000 words to 10,000 words and read it out to my friends at the writing club. And it was, it was great. And honestly, I think it was one of the things that helped me to make it in, make it as a professional writer Mm -hmm. in that knowing that every month I need a story. Well, nowadays it's like every month I need like four stories. Yeah. (laughs) What it got you ready for that, for that type of career because that fast paced writing yeah, like it teaches you the grind. 
mm-hmm. and then like I, w- I would write these short stories and I put them up on my my blog or whatever and literally no one would read them <laughs> I, was like, I was like all right fine whatever but then comics all of a sudden kicked up and all of a sudden I had a, like a career in comics that nobody least of all me expected so yeah. I was like oh okay here we go so to answer your question yes I have written a novel no <laughs> no one wants to publish it Okay. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever give it a shot again and maybe write something new and try to get that published or are you kind of like just focused on comics? Yeah. I mean, the, th- the thing is I wrote it so long ago that I feel like I would have to go back and do a pretty significant overhaul. And I really should. Cause like, I think it's good. I think there's a lot of exciting adventure stuff in there and I lo- like writing. I would basically say this is the kind of thing that I think I would like when I was a kid. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I just haven't found the time. Yeah. Like even even my short stories have basically suffered because whereas previously I would write for fun, now I write for my job. Mm-hmm. And as much as I want to write more stories, I feel like I'm kind of leaving it all on the comics page and I don't have a whole lot of juice for stuff mm-hmm. on the side, which, which kind of bums me out because this was something I've always loved to do. But yeah. Until I kind of figure out that balance, uh, unfortunately, the, the the pros is sort of suffering. Yeah, yeah, I know it is. It is hard to balance all of that, you know, especially when you are when there's a demand for you to write these these comics, which I'm sure you're, in, you know, you're obviously enjoying that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it, and oh, you're yeah, good at sure. it because you keep you keep getting hired to do it. So you know what I mean. So that's an awesome thing right there. But yeah, I think you know eventually, like you said, you'll get into your rhythm, and and who knows, there might be chunks of time where you have time off between releases where you can write a little bit and kind of, you know, get it in there here and here and there. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's also too, that I feel like I've lost a bit of my prose chops being so, having been so focused on writing in the form of a comic book script over the last, what, like two and a half years where yeah. previously I would, everything I would think, cause like, you know how it is with writing where you're always thinking about a story and you're always thinking mm-hmm. about a story. And mm-hmm. you're basically writing in your head to the point where you're ready to put it on paper. Like b- before I got my last job and I was teaching, I was working at a grocery store just to have something to pay the bills. Yeah. And it's not a terribly cerebral job. So basically, you know, I'd be stacking vegetables, but at the same time, my brain would just be thinking of story stuff because mm-hmm. it turns out it really does require a lot of brain power to stack zucchinis. So yeah, it could be better, no, it could be, totally. <laughs> it could be better put to, you know, I, I liken it to being like a rock tumbler. You know, mm-hmm. you'll throw a bunch of trash in a rock tumbler, and just you gotta let it churn for a while, and then eventually something will come out that's good. Yeah, yeah, I know that makes total sense. Yeah, I was a I was a barista in my former life, and and yeah, same thing. You have a lot of downtime, or if you're making coffee drinks, and you just start thinking about yeah. story ideas. <laughs> It's, it's kind like of the, ruminating. You know, I'm not, and that's saying like I'm not. I'm certainly not trying to diminish you know the value of the work that's done in jobs like that. But, oh no, uh, not at all. Yeah. When I was when I was doing them, basically a, a large part of the mental process was devoted to, okay, how's this story going to work? Here's this thing that I want to happen. Oh, here's a good line that I have to remember. So by the time I went to go write a story, seventy five percent of it was already written in my head, pretty much, and just had yeah. to type it out. Yeah, no, that's so true. Yeah, that happens. I mean, with with comics, it's a little bit more direct. And yeah, you don't, true. you know, it's, it's. I mean, 
I've not written a comic myself, but, you know, just in talking to many people like yourself, I've kind of gotten the impression that it is a lot like almost like script writing in a sense, because you do have to tell the artist, you know, like or like stage blocking, you know, when you think of theater, like this person moves to this side or that side with prose, you're just trying to make words sound pretty on the page and, you know, create this like imagery and description because there are no pictures. So yeah, I can imagine how like it would be really hard to like switch back and forth from those two different mediums. Yeah. Because I mean, so much of like when I was writing short stories, I was writing largely in the series. I was doing sort of, you know, pulp sword and sorcery stuff that owed a lot to uh, Fritz Lieber. Mm -hmm. And so I was very, very keen on really sort of florid and purple prose, very heavy on the, the narration. And, and you know, and it, you'd be very pleased with wordplay that would not appear in a script because it's all visual. Whereas my first full full comic script was a disaster because my di- I had no idea how much space these dialogue balloons took up. Like, yeah. I go back and look at that issue, um, Spider-Verse number one, or sorry, Spider-Geddon number one, and it's embarrassing. Like the artist had to change the way the page worked because I wrote too many words in these the, in uh, these balloons that people would speak. Okay, and it was a really sobering, sobering experience. <laughs> yeah, so well, I, I mean, I've been writing. It was so your much. first. It was your first job, or no, or it was just an early, yeah, early it, job. It was my first. Oh yeah, if it's yeah, your first job, then bullshit. You can't you can't harp on yourself for that though, because <laughs> I mean, we all cringe when we look back at our early work. You know what I mean? Because you just grow and you learn so much. And I think that's, you know, part of it. And yeah, don't don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it just shows that there's very different skill sets involved in writing prose and writing comic books. Absolutely. Um, you get you get writers who are, you know, great prose writers taking a dip into comic books and realizing that it's a very different set of skills. You know, mm-hmm. it's you can't. You can't go into writing comic books without having read a lot of comic books and understanding how they work because they have a very different language mm-hmm. and very different. I am not not just talking about superhero books, but just comics in general. Yeah. They're very different. I mean, the pacing is entirely different given the way the the images work. You know. Yeah. So sometimes it can be a very sobering realization that maybe you don't know exactly as much as you thought of it. Or sorry. You don't know as ma- exactly as much as uh, you thought you did about right. how comics work coming from yeah. a prose background or coming from a television background or coming from a screenwriting background, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I always say learn your craft. You know, that's like my biggest, you know, advice when, when people ask about writing. I, I, you know, I say, well, read a lot, <laughs> practice writing, you know, know your craft, know what medium you're writing in. And, you oh, know, sorry, um, I think I lost you there. Oh, can you hear me? Are you still there? Hello? Oh, hey, sorry. Oh, there you are. Yeah, Yeah, we went into like a dark hole. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I think I lost you in the last uh, bit there. That's no no worries. No, I was just talking about craft and and which was going to lead me into my next question, which is, you know, what advice would you give to to someone, you know, maybe that was in similar shoes as your own that maybe wants to get into, you know, doing a series for Marvel someday? You know, what, what kind of advice would you give? I mean, it's it's a question I've answered a lot. Basically, comics is a weird industry. And like a lot of creative industries, there's no guaranteed way to get into it. I mean, until I did, I never thought I was going to. Yeah. 
So, I mean, the best advice I can get, I can give is to, you know, if you want to be a writer, you need to write. I see a lot of people who call themselves writers, but don't write anything. I mm -hmm. was a person who called myself a writer, but didn't write anything. The novel I, I mentioned before, I talked about it for ages, like literal years. I'd say, oh, I've, I've decided I'm going to write a novel. I'm working on this novel that I'm going to write. Not Sorry, not even a novel, novel series. It wasn't until, like... I think a year or two after I'd started talking about it, that I'd met a friend I hadn't seen for a while. He said, well, how's that novel going that you, you were talking about last time I saw you? I was, I was like, oh, I'm still planning it. Yeah. And my head was like, shit. I was like, shit, I'm still planning it? Like, man, I actually got to do something. Yeah. So, like, it's it's very easy to talk about writing. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's, it's a lot harder to actually do the work. And my best advice is if you want to be a writer, you need to write. Uh, you can yeah. write prose, you can write, you know, short stories, you can write comics, but you need to write something. As I mentioned before, like with Writing Club, writing every month was the best thing I could possibly have done for my craft, uh, you know, my writing skills, developing that work ethic. Yeah, and absolutely. Like it's, it, and it's not going to, it's not going to be good every time. Mm -hmm. um, I posted on Twitter a few months ago about, I found my portfolio from, my undergraduate and and that would have been 2003 2004 my portfolio for a, a creative writing course at my university that i got turned down for mm. and they were they were right to do so though like i i looked at the stuff I'm like wow this is not great yeah but the thing is if you just keep writing you will get better usually mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Pretty much everybody has a computer. It's not going to cost you anything to write. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, That's great advice. So, yeah. So, yeah, like, if you want to be, if you want to make comics, you can do it. I was making comics, you know, with my friend from the internet where we didn't, we, we made zero money. But, well, at least we had a few pages to show people. Were they good? Looking back at them now? No. But, well, I mean, the art was good, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and look where you're now. You just, you didn't give up and you kept trying and kept getting better. And, and now you're, you know, you're on your way. You're, you work for Marvel. It's a pretty, yeah. pretty big uh, accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you just keep hustling. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for coming on today and chatting with me and taking, you know, time out of your, of your night to, to talk about comics and writing. I really appreciate it. Oh, not at all. Cool. So everyone, go check out Black Cat Taskmaster. You can follow Jed on Twitter at Jed McKay. And don't forget to support your local comic book shops if you can. Very important. Again, thank you so much for being on tonight. Please come back again when you can talk about those secret projects and we can get some more info about those. For sure. Well, thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, just uh, send me a message. I'm always happy to be back. Absolutely. And we're back. That's right. We are back. Back in the saddle again. Well, <laughs> I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that as much as we did making it for you. And if you like what you heard, you want to hear more gotta go check out spoilerverse.com because at spoilerverse.com we have a plethora 
Plethora is such a it's such a snobbish word. <laughs> I like it though. <laughs> it's, it's a good word. <laughs> we we have an obscene amount of oh, interviews obscene. with amazing directors and artists of all walks of life and editors and writers and oh my god are you a lover of comic books like we are and then there's so many so many amazing people from the comic book world over at spoilerverse.com and i highly implore you to go there and check it out yeah and while you're there you can check out all the other podcasts on our network like bridge of the geekdoms and funny book forensics and haphazard adventures and nerds from the crypt and so many more misery point radio. episodes all the time misery point radio has got a ton of great stuff out there go check all of them out and Check out all of the reviews and previews and articles we have going up every single day for you. Every day on Spoilerverse.com for you to check out, to read, and to love, and to like, and to comment. We have a store link. If you want to help support the site, you can do it two ways. One, go to our Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash country, or go to our store link in the middle of the site there and get a t-shirt, a face mask, a hoodie, something. Look fly as hell and help support the site when you do that, because we get a dollar or two. And, you know, maybe you want to talk to us. If you do, you can do it, you know, obviously, on all the socials. But if you go to scpod.us slash discord, you can join our public discord server and come chat with us all day long. I couldn't say it better myself, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You just mouthed out a ton of information at once. And really, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy what you're hearing because we're, we're working our butts off to bring it to you. We are. We are. I guess there's only one left thing. One left thing? Yeah. I'm going to go with it. There's only one left thing left to do. What's that? In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind. And...